Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Transformed in the name of Jesus. Amen? Y'all feel good? Say yeah. Yeah. Do you have your Bible? Say yeah. yeah. Open up your Bible with me to the book of Luke. We're going to continue our series. We're studying Luke chapter 9 this fall. It's our custom in this church every fall to study one or two chapters in the gospel, synoptic gospel of Luke. Luke, the Greek physician or surgeon who sought to make account for the life and ministry of Jesus in a precise and detailed fashion, written to a Gentile population like you and I, so that we might fully come to understand Jesus's place in the course of history and the glory that we would find in a relationship with him. And so the title of this series this month or this fall in Luke chapter 9 is called Seeing Jesus Clearly. And the reason we're calling the entire series that is because we've walked through all of the, the preceding chapters, coming to know Jesus, coming to, to, to understand sort of um, what's about to come. We've met his disciples, then watched them become apostles, and we began to see Jesus do some, some miracles. But in this chapter, the tone and tenor of the gospel itself begins to shift as Luke starts to point more clearly towards the purpose and mission of Jesus. It's less about the instances of what Jesus had done, and the shift here becomes more about what Jesus came to do. And so we're calling this series Seeing Jesus Clearly because I don't want us as a church, I don't want you, I don't want myself to be the kind of Christian who knows Jesus on a superficial handshake, I met him the other day at church kind of basis. No, I wanna know Jesus the way Jesus wants me to know him. I want to know him in his suffering. I want to know him in his redemption. I want to know why he came, for whom he came, so that I might join him and be more like him in Jesus' name. Amen? And so we pick up our series today in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to be reading verses 10 through 17, a story no doubt that you've heard many times before in my prayer today is that we'll be able to get a clearer understanding of this text and grow. Luke 9 and 10. If you have it, say Amen. It reads like this, on there, that's the 12. On their return, the apostles told him, that's Jesus, all that they had done. And he took them and he withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned of it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And he cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we're in a desolate place. But he said to them, why don't you give them something to eat? And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, tell you what, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. Then taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all, how many? All All ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken 
pieces. The title of our message today is Special Recipe. Nudge your neighbor and say, there's a special recipe in the house. This is a, this is a special recipe. Let's pray over this word today. Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, we yield to you today. Would you take this word? Would you pour it right into our hearts? We cast out anything that is in us right now that is unlike you. We ask that you would remove depression, anxiety, and fear. God, we, 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 we stand in victory over lethargy, cynicism, and skepticism. Father, in this room are open hearts, open hands, and open minds. We stand ready to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. How many of you have a grandma or a mother or an aunt who has a recipe in your family that is the best version of that dish that has ever been. Y'all have one of those? How many of you have heretofore since been prevented from learning that recipe because it's a secret recipe? Have you ever asked for that recipe? You ever had a dish over at some family gathering and said, mm, this is delicious, can I get the recipe? And you're expecting, because we're family, for them to say, sure, here it is. You ever been rebuffed in that question? Have you ever asked for a recipe and they said, no, baby, (laughs) without explanation? There are some things that are too good to be shared with just anybody, amen, except the gospel. The gospel is the one thing that's so good it absolutely must be shared with any and everybody, amen? The gospel is the recipe that is written on the hearts and minds of the sons and daughters of Christ meant to be proclaimed from the mountaintops and the rooftops all over the world, amen? This is the one recipe that I'm going to tell you right now everybody needs and will absolutely love as soon as they get, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And our endeavor today is to look at this part of the text as we're learning to see Jesus more clearly, to look at Jesus' recipes for a few areas of life. I want you to understand that our God, Jesus, God in flesh, Emmanuel, when he came down to earth, he came to save. His mission, plain and simple, was that he would be the once for all atonement for all mankind and their sins. He would die, take the sin and the shame, and he would take it to the grave so that you and I could be set free from that. He would rise from the grave, and because he rose, we would rise again. We would also have eternal life. That's the mission. Amen. Plain and simple. That's why he came for you, even in the middle of your mess. And during that mission, because God's so wonderful, he also taught We learn in many of the Gospels the parables in which he teaches. He teaches these divine, supernatural, eternal principles to regular people like you and me by using parables, teaching through the methods and and the parts of their life that they could more easily understand these concepts. But to make it even sweeter, Jesus also heals. I mean, Jesus doesn't need to teach or heal. Jesus could have showed up, died, and rose again, and we'd all be still forgiven. Amen? Did you know it could have been that simple? But Jesus is good. And so he comes and he teaches. He comes and he heals. He comes and he delivers. He comes and also models a life that we're called to live. And that's kind of where we land in the passage here today. Because Jesus doesn't do a ton of talking in this passage. Mostly he does a ton of doing. In the conversations that he has with the 12 that we'll talk about today, it's relatively limited. It's a couple short commandments. But what we're really going to focus on is sort of the way in which he models 
his behavior. Now, let me set the stage for you. This miracle that you and I both know, the feeding of the 5,000, it's, it's the one miracle that is in all four Gospels. It's here in Luke 9. It's also in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6. Every one of the accounts is a touch different, a little nuanced, but the main things remain the main things. And this is important for all of us as believers to understand because wherever the gospels completely align on an instance, we have to be sure that we are also aligned on the teaching, on the marrow, on the gist of the thing. I don't want you to miss this as just a cool thing where Jesus showed up and threw a party in Jesus' name. Amen? What we're learning in this text today is a conversation about Jesus's methods, the life that he models, and it's absolutely vital for you and I as we walk this road. So here's what we're going to do. There's three movements today I'm going to cover. Yes, we're going to talk about the miracle. That will come at the end. But I want you to also understand today we're going to talk about three recipes. The first is a recipe for those of you who feel called to lead in ministry who feel called to minister, either through teaching, through worship, through leadership, and I hate to break it to you, that's technically all of you, but this is about those of you who feel the unction, like, I think I'm called to ministry. We're gonna talk about Jesus' special recipe for ministry, exactly what it takes for you to do it well. We're also gonna talk about the mission and the recipe for doing missions. What we're gonna find here is that Jesus and the disciples actually walk out the proper way to help people in need. So maybe you're one of those people where you're like, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm called to preach or to, to teach or any of that stuff, but I do love to help. If you feel called to help, this is gonna be the recipe for that, how to do the ministry of helps well and effective. And then the last part, we're gonna talk about Jesus's recipe for miracles, amen. Jesus is going to show us exactly how he does miracles. You didn't know that was happening today. You're like, wait, we're going to figure out this is the formula for miracles? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> now, it's nothing new. Don't worry. There's no divine revelation. I'm not the first one to discover this. Don't think that you came here and I'm like, the Lord spoke to me, only me. He's never said this to anyone before. No, it's here. You just got to read it. And because this is Beacon, I hate to break your heart, but the recipe for miracles has far more to do with you than it has to do with him in Jesus' name. Amen? You ready to dive into this? All right, for those of you who feel called to ministry, called to lead, let's talk about the recipe for ministry. And let me just put a headline on this if you're taking notes today. This is exactly how you and I can do ministry well so that we can avoid burnout, amen, and embrace interruptions, amen. And if you ask anybody in ministry in any service capacity or leadership capacity, those are the two biggest parts, the two biggest challenges, or as Jesus would call them, the two wonderful opportunities of ministry. Here's what you need to see. The Bible says in verse 10, on their return. So you remember that we had picked up in the text in chapter nine and he had sent out the 12 disciples. He uniquely anointed them. He'd spoken power into them and he sent them out two by two into Israel to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. They did it so well, so obediently, so effectively that word spread all the way up to the governor in the region and it compelled his heart to want to meet not them, but Jesus because of them. And now we pick up where they're done. They're on their way home. They're coming back to Jesus. And the Bible says in verse 10 that they returned to Jesus and they told him all about that, what they had done. And I, I have to land on this picture for just a second because you, you, you can't miss that one little phrase, phrase, all that they had done. 
If you have kids, you know how awesome it is when you pick them up from an adventure that they've really enjoyed. If you have kids, you know how difficult it is when you pick them up from a regular day at school and you ask this question, how was your day? And they go, good. <laughs> and so you're like, all right, follow-up question. Did you do anything exciting? Not really. <laughs> well, what did you do? Just like so. That's how kids act when you want to get information out of them, right? But isn't it the beautiful paradox of parenting that when you could use a few minutes of quiet, they get in the car and they're like, dad, oh my God, you should have seen it. We were at soccer practice yesterday and Joseph, you know Joseph, Joseph and his mom, well, you know his mom, his mom is a dad. And then anyways, we're at socks on and he was just running around kicking. He kicked the ball and it fit me in the face. And I, but I bit the ball anyway, I threw my teeth and they just go on forever. And you're like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. Stop talking. Children do this often. Actually, all of us do this often. If you or I ever walk into a season where God has really done something exciting or you really have one of those adventures that's just formative, you kind of can't stop talking about it. Amen? You go to a good concert. You go to a good event. You're hanging out with your friends. You meet somebody new, and somebody's like, what are they like? And you're like, sit down. I got so much to tell you. You're excited. You're not mad. You're not bored. When something good happens, you just got to shout about it. You got to tell everybody about it. You ever find yourself talking so much that you look over and the other person has long since started ignoring you? I'm a bit of a talker, if you can guess. And I love to talk with my family. I love to kind of process things verbally. And when I get really excited, uh, I don't read social cues. So my beautiful wife will be sitting on the couch next to me. And it usually happens where it's something in the Bible. And I'm kind of a nerd for the Bible. And I'll just be reading and I'm, I'll come upstairs. I'm like, babe, sit down. She's like, what? And I'm like, you're never going to guess this. But in 1 Kings, there is a tree. And she's like, where is this going? And I just start diving into the beautiful thing that I learned about the bark on a tree in Cyprus. Who cares, right? But for me, super excited. And I'll just go and go and go and go and go and go and go. And I look over and my beautiful, blessed wife who takes such good care of me and our beautiful sons who's tender and sweet and attentive. <laughs> and I notice, but I'm on a roll, so I'm not stopping. Anyway, listen, it's also mentioned in First Chronicles, and you'll never believe this because David says it. Because, I mean, it's good, right? When you are excited about something, you talk about it. Amen? And it gives you a little bit of life. It's a little bit of energy. It's something exciting when you get to retell what's happening, what God's doing. You just sort of share it. And this is what's happening. These 12 disciples, these boys, these young men who have been used by God to great effect, have seen God do miracles in their midst, through their mouths, through their hands, through their obedience. And they finally get to see Jesus. And buddy, there is no stopping this conversation. They are fired up. Amen? I'm like, Jesus, you'll never believe this. We were walking down the road and we started to pray with this lady. She became healed. Peter, Peter spit in the lady's face and she got vision. It was awesome. I mean, it's crazy. And the Bible says that, that right in this moment where they're so excited, they're not yet tired, they're not burnt out, it's not the end of their ministry, no one feels like quitting. They're at the peak. They're super excited. The Bible says they meet Jesus and he's filling them. They're filling him in on the details and he says, hold up, hey, let's go rest. He says, he took them and withdrew them to a faraway place. Now, I can't let you miss this. 
Jesus made them rest long before they were tired. You've heard me teach so many times about rhythm, about rest, about Sabbath. It's commanded. It's vital. Maybe you don't know this, but uh, there's a sect in Christianity, a denomination called Seventh-day Adventists. They believe that the Sabbath is actually on the Saturday. They have church on a Saturday, and they're pretty actually very strict about the way in which they observe their Sabbath. They, they as, a, as, a, as, a, as a denomination, as a group of people, practice their Sabbath much like uh, people who, who are Orthodox Jews. They, they practice a full Sabbath, which means they do nothing. How much stuff? Nothing. They do nothing for a full day. You're going to love this. On average, Seventh-day Adventists live 11 years longer than normal Christians. Is it because they do church on Sunday morning or Saturday morning? No. It's because they protect rest. And in finding rest on a rhythm they receive from the Lord the strength necessary to do the labor they're called to more effectively. Now, we're not switching to Saturdays, amen. (laughs) But I might challenge you to switch up rest. How many of you struggle with rest? Amen, all of us. How many of you, let's just have a real conversation, actually have one full day in your life from sunup to sundown where you do no work or labor of any kind? One, two, two. Pay attention to it. Two. Two. And the rest of us, when commanded to rest, without word but in deed, essentially tell Jesus, it's a good idea, but I'm pretty busy. In fact, much of the things I'm called to do are going to need my attention. I know you tell me to rest, but if you knew just how effective I was, that is kind of what we say to God when we don't take rest seriously. As we say, I know that you think it's important for me to lean into you, but I kind of need to lean into this. I'll say it to you again because I say it a thousand times because I have to preach it to myself. Rest is not an option not a sweet suggestion, it is a commandment. And Jesus is our rest. And so when you find time, no, scratch it, when you make time to rest, that time should be in Jesus. I'm not telling you to take one day off a week and go whitewater rafting every single week. (laughs) This is not join a club, do a thing, find an activity, find something to get your minds off the world. No, I'm telling you this rest is really prayer, worship, meditation, time with the king. Because only two of us are going to live to the day we're really supposed to live unless we fix this right now. Amen? And here's the thing, you can't miss this, right? You can't miss this. Jesus tells them to rest before they're tired. And this is where most of us get it. Most of us, especially those of us in ministry, we burn out. Why? Because we don't take rest until it's way too late. I meet people all the time. They were in ministry for many years. They burnt out. And they said, if I'd only just taken a few days off. (laughs) The problem with that is because if, if we're not proactive, We're not preemptive with the way in which we rest, spend time with the Lord. We will grow weary in our doing good. 
And when we grow weary in our doing good because we're human, we walk away from the doing good because we perceive that it is doing bad for us. Oh, don't miss this. This is what happens to people when they get serious about serving. They get serious about serving, but not Sabbath. And when they get weary, they quit church. Or they say things like, CB is a taskmaster. And I'm like, what do you mean? I take breaks. I don't know what you're doing. I'm off today. Why are you working? Here's the challenge for you, is to lean into service, but be proactive in your rest so that you don't grow weary in doing good. I want you to think about days you can rest when you're on the top, when you're having fun. Don't wait until you're too tired. When you're exhausted, you can't function. And I want to tell you this right now, for everybody who feels like they got a little more gas in the tank, stop, pull over, quit, take a break. Let me tell you this, you don't have as much gas in the tank as you think you are, and you are not nearly as effective as you wish you were. So we're proactive in the way in which we rest. Jesus pulls them aside while they're super excited. He says, come here, take a break. And the Bible says they take a break. And as they take a break, the people get wind of their break. Now, how do I say this well? Most people who work in ministry for long enough get fooled by the enemy into thinking that the people they minister to are kind of a burden. And if you're not in ministry, you're like, geez, man, I'm just, I'm going to tell you the truth. I have too many pastors and mentors who have tried to coach me when you, hey, when you go to two services, you make sure you get away from those people for at least 30 minutes. You've heard televangelists talk about not flying on commercial flights. You've heard, you hear people think about an us versus them mentality. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's a trick of the enemy to create divisions so that shepherds don't smell like sheep. And so real spiritual need is not met. Okay. And so here's the challenge is because we have to find rest for ourselves to recognize that we, we are human just like all others so that we can walk with all others who are human. Amen? And in doing so, we can model what Jesus models in this moment when the people find the secret hiding place and show up. Watch this. This is when, when the crowds learned of their secret hiding place. Come on. They followed them. And the Bible says, and Jesus welcomed him. Now, I have read the Bible enough times to know that at least six or seven of the apostles slash disciples were like, oh my gosh, here they, we can't go nowhere without these people. I just need like a private getaway. I need a retreat. But that is not what Jesus said. Jesus sees the people. He pulls the disciples away. He says, you having a good time? They're like, so good, Jesus. It's been so great to serve you. He says, let's go get a rest. We're not tired. Let's rest before you get tired. There's so much more to us to, for us to accomplish. Come over here. Come sit. Let's break some bread. Keep telling me. And they're fellowshipping because Jesus knows that their rest, the way they'll get refilled is in time, is in fellowship and community with him. And as they're doing it, they're growing stronger. He's pouring into their cup. And then the people come. And this is what Jesus does. He says, hold on for just a second. They need some more help. And no one at this table is burnt out. No one is exhausted. No one is done. No one needs to take a break. He says, here they come. Should we, should we welcome? And I imagine that each one of the 12 was like, yeah, 
I feel pretty good. Let's bring him over. And this is what Jesus is trying to model in this moment. Is that the, the real recipe for ministry is to be proactive in taking care of ourself. Be often in our relationship with Jesus. So that when others are proactive and often, we're ready. Too many spiritual leaders today are drying up because they're not taking care of the vertical. And so when the horizontal comes, they're mean as a hornet. Let's just call it what it is. I went to pray with a pastor and he was kind of short with me. Yeah, it's not because he's mean, it's because he's empty. And I'm telling you today, every one of you is called to ministry. Amen? And there's going to be a day where there's an interruption and you're going to have to pour your life into someone else. Amen? So you've got to be proactive in letting Jesus pour into you. Y'all with me? That is the recipe for ministry. So, you're tired? Take a break immediately. Right now, find rest. You're not tired? Take a break immediately. Right now, find rest. Amen? We got work to do, y'all. This is the city of Denver. It's the one of the most post-Christian cities in the country. We put church and a baptismal on Colfax Avenue. Did y'all see it? And wait till we start doing baptisms. Some of these people are going to whir, weave, and swerve off the road. We nearly got run over last time. Somebody was like, what in the world is that? I need your help. We got to get serious about this. All right. So that's the recipe for ministry. Now, let's talk about the other side of ministry, which isn't just preaching and teaching and, and leading or singing, singing, worship, gathering people. Let's talk about what ministry is for, for a lot of us, which is helping. This is the recipe for missions. And, and let's just lay it out here, okay? Missions is the broad term that we in the modern church give to what the Bible calls the ministry of help the ministry of assistance. And it's throughout the Bible wherein the Bible tells us that the disciples are actively engaged in helping people. But what we're going to talk about is the correct way to help people. And you say, what do you mean? There's not, there can't be a wrong way to help people. <laughs> yes, there is. Verses 12 through 15, it says this. Now, the day began to wear away and the 12 came to him, that's Jesus, and they said, now check this out. Okay, now we're getting a little bit tired, Jesus. Send them away. Send the crowd away to go around to the surrounding villages in the countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're in a place where we can't provide to them. And Jesus looks the disciples dead in the face, and he says, why don't you all feed him? Why don't you all feed them? Why don't you make a meal for them? He says, don't send them away. You help them. And they said, hold on. We don't have any food. We barely have five loaves or two fishes, and if we didn't use that, we'd have to go into the store, and, you know, we don't have a ton of money, and... They're about to send the people further away. They're about to find the solution in purchasing food. And, and Jesus says, all right, listen to me. Just have the people sit down. I love this part. If you walk with Jesus long enough, your heart should burn for people in need. Amen? If you are jaded to the needs of people and their suffering... I will question whether or not you've allowed the Holy Spirit to do a good work in your heart. That is part and parcel to the 
removing of the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. It means that you grow an empathy for everyone, even your enemies, even those who disparage you, even those who hurt you. You see past through the vitriol and the stance and you start to see the heart and the need. This is what it means when the fruit of the spirit start to birth gentleness and kindness in you, amen? Part of being a Christian means being nice and helping but we have to be mindful about how best to help. Now, the disciples here, they notice that there's this huge crowd of people. The Bible tells us that it's 5,000 men, amen? And what that means for us, most all biblical scholars clearly agree that that would put the number of people at around 20,000 people. 5,000 men and their accompanying wives and two children, white picket fence, all there together, amen? 20,000 people, 20,000 people. One Jesus <laughs> and the goof troop, amen? <laughs> and the disciples, because he's done a good work in them, rightly begin to think ahead and say, Jesus, there's a lot of people here and we're, we're far away from what they may need. It's the right heart, actually, to say there is need. But the response misses the mark. The disciples say immediately in this moment, there's need here in the room, Jesus. Let's send them away from you. I imagine in my sanctified mind that whoever said that was like, no, that sounded wrong. Definitely <laughs> sounded wrong. But that's what they say, right? They say, Jesus, there's so many here and they all need something. They need food. They need lodging. They need rest. We're far away. There's nothing here like this. And you can't do it. So we've got to send them to somewhere that can meet their natural needs. You and I would scoff at that now because we're thinking they're with the way maker. Oh my gosh, how do they not see it? Except for that today, every day, you and I are with the way maker. I think one of the most subtle ways in which the enemy subverts the efforts, well-meaning as they are, of the church today is to get us to think about ways we can help rather than invite people to meet the one who helps. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not against help ministry. And when the Lord tells you to be of help, you should be of help. But I will tell you here today that there are hundreds and thousands of ministries built on the model that says, Jesus cannot provide for that need, so we will. Now, this is going to knock you out. It's going to be a little harsh for you for just a second, so hear my heart today. But in the North American world, we call ministries that help parachurch ministries. They are not the church, but they have the tenets of the church, and they work specifically, if not exclusively, to meet natural needs. Y'all with me? You tracking with me? They do food, they do housing, and they do jobs. Amen. And let's be honest, as believers, we really like that stuff. I can't tell you how many people who I know who are on the fringe of their own personal faith and one of their indictments of the church is, if your church doesn't feed the hungry, I don't want to go. I hear it all the time. If you don't do homeless ministry, if you don't serve the least of these, then maybe you're not a church. And I want to break this to you today. Every church that proclaims the gospel, which is repent and believe the kingdom is near, is doing doing the single most important act of serving those in need compared to any parachurch ministry. Y'all with me? Hear me today. 
If you think preaching is less important than feeding, you have no idea what's important. But because it feels so good to help, we won't give to our church, we'll give to the food bank. We won't serve on Sunday mornings, we'll serve in the evenings at another ministry. We will work so hard to meet natural needs because the reward is immediate. We give somebody a bag of food and they go, thank you. And our little heart grows 10 sizes. Right there in Whoville, right? We're just like, oh, that felt so good. We, we, we go on a missions trip to a place we think has greater need than us. And we dig a well or we build a school or we build a road or we do something that meets a natural need. And before we get on the plane to go back, what do we do? <laughs> just serving those who need me. Some of us are like, dang, I gotta delete that post. <laughs> the reason that helping is uh, so pervasive is because helping person to person just feels so gosh, gosh darn good. It just, it feels fantastic. Until you serve the same person again and again and again. And what you discovered is every week they meet you for their whatever. And every week their heart is not changed. Their circumstance is worse. Their demeanor is less thankful. You stopped getting the thanks because you didn't do a good thing. You did the thing you were supposed to do. What we find in serving humans through natural needs ministry is because they're human. If we just feed the bellies, Nothing changes in the heart. I can put a roof over your head, but if Jesus doesn't live in there, you will lose the roof. You will hate me for it. And you will be right back where we started. Hear me today. Parachurch ministries that only meet natural needs, but do not proclaim Christ perpetuate learned helplessness. I know it sounds rough. Some of y'all love the church. Some of, you, some of you don't love the church like this. Some of you are frustrated with what I just said. Hear, hear, hear me, hear me. Ministries that help are good, but ministries that only help the need that is natural and miss the supernatural are doing worse off in the end. Do you know why? Because if you don't know Jesus, then nothing changes. And if nothing changes, then nothing changes. I can give everyone that I know to give everything that they have, and we will still never end homelessness in Denver. You meet people all the time, we got to end hunger. What do you mean you got to end hunger? You won't end hunger. You said, Pastor, you're too skeptical. You're too cynical. There's no way that you could preach this on a Sunday. You're supposed to speak hope. You mean to tell me you think you can defeat things that Jesus said would never die? Do you know the story about the woman with the alabaster box? She comes to Jesus. She breaks open this bottle, pours out the most expensive perfume she has on Jesus' feet. And one of these disciples says, we should have sold that and used the money to feed the poor. And Jesus says this, the poor you will have with you always. 
but me, I'm only with you for a moment. The teaching is this. This is a sinful and fallen world. We will not eradicate it until the king comes back. And so the real need is not food, shelter, lodging, jobs, help, training. The real need is they better meet the king because when he comes back, they're either in the kingdom or they're doomed. Hear me, they're doomed. I don't want to send a bunch of people to hell with full bellies. I don't want to miss the mark to evangelize people with the true hope of the world. And they're like, why did you tell me about Jesus? We got you a housing voucher. Who cares about the housing voucher? I'm about to live forever apart from Christ. This is the mission. We can't just be doing help. We can't just be doing natural needs. It's a supernatural need. And so the disciples say, send them away. And Jesus says, why in the world will I ever send them away from me? He says, why don't you all feed them? And they're like, we don't have any food. He's like, I know that. That's why I asked. (laughs) Actually, the account of this in John 6, you're going to love this part. This is the best part. In John 6, the same parallel, it says, uh, verse 6, verse 5, where are we to buy bread so that all these people may eat? Philip said this to test him, for he himself knew what he should do. And Philip answered, and he said, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them. Then one of the disciples, check this out. Simon Peter, of course, said to him, there's a little boy here and he has some food. You with me in the Bible? Get into this. Be this little boy. He's just like, is that Jesus? And the rock star apostles? Oh, man. What are they talking about? Give us your lunch, kid. What? What do you mean? Jesus knows they don't have any food. He says, let's feed them. They said, we don't have anything. And what he's really doing in this moment is to remind the apostles, the disciples, the 12, if there's a need, come to me. Oh, oh, y'all can't feed them? Come to me. Oh, oh, they need a place to rest? Come to me. That's why he said, come unto me, all ye who are labor and heavy burdened. He didn't say, go find somebody that'll give you dinner and then let's have a conversation afterward. He said, everything you need is at the foot of the cross. Y'all with me? The proper recipe for missions is to point the one we're on mission for, to send them to Jesus. That's it. No more, no less. Now, when God makes a way so that we can feed and the gospel, amen. It's the reason that we've changed the way we do our refugee toy drive. Every year as a church, since before we were a church, we did a Christmas toy drive. We partnered with 26 agencies in the city last year to find every refugee child we could find in the city of Denver to do Christmas for them. And what happened was most of these agencies weren't Christian, so they didn't give us a lot of access to the families. So we would deliver toys with no conversation. That does nothing. Sometimes we drop toys on doorsteps where nobody answered, not even sure if it was the right place. So we don't do that anymore. Do you know why? Because I'm not just giving you something. I want to give you the thing. So we partner this year with La Casa de Restauración. Next month, we're going to roll out our Christmas campaign. Their whole church and our whole church are going to walk together. We're going to do Christmas for the whole church. I'm going to ask every one of you in this church, every family and every individual, to adopt a family or families or individuals. We're going to meet every Christmas need that they have. We're going to throw a big Christmas party and have church together that Jesus might be glorified. Amen? That's how it works. 
And I'll leave you with this and we'll transition. Hear me, okay? So don't miss it. It doesn't mean I don't believe in missions. It doesn't mean I don't believe in parachurch ministry. But if we're not pointing people to Jesus, we mission. We miss it because here it is, okay? The mission of the church is missions. The reason the church exists is to go out and the mission of missions is the church. Hear me, ready? The mission of missions is the church. The reason we go out is so that we can proclaim Christ, gather people that they might be discipled together under the banner of heaven and grow, amen? And the reason the church exists so that we can go out and do the same thing. Mission exists so that the church would grow. Go out and make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I commanded. That's the great co-mission. With me? You ready to talk about the miracle? Recipe for ministry, recipe for missions. Let's talk about this miracle. The Bible says in verse 16, sorry. Jesus took the loaves, five of them, and two fish. And he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and they were satisfied. And whatever was left over was picked up, 12 baskets in total of broken pieces. Check this out. Jesus is about to give us the recipe to walk into miracles in our life. You said, this church just got real charismatic here in just a second. Don't worry. It's not stand up. There's no special prayer. I'm not going to make you pray in tongues, but if you want to. <laughs> I do too. I just have to cover the microphone so you can't hear me. Um, Jesus is about to show us exactly what it looks like for people of faith to receive a provisional miracle. Hear me. This is not a healing miracle. We know the difference, right? This is not a deliverance miracle. This is a provision miracle. This is a conversation for those who have little and are asking God to do much. For those who have not enough and are asking God to give just enough. And I don't know what kind of room I'm in, but I, I'm in one of those circumstances all the time. I don't care how rich or poor you are, every day you will find yourself in a situation where you look at what you need and go, I, 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 I need Jesus. And this is what he does. The Bible says that Jesus takes that little boy's lunch. <laughs> and he tells the disciples, he says, I need you to count the people and sit them in groups of 50. Some accounts say 100. What he's asking in this moment is immediately for the disciples to assess the need. Now, this isn't the recipe, but this is the ingredients. Check this out. You cannot come boldly before the throne of grace and ask God for a miracle if you do not boldly know exactly what you need. I got too many people out here praying for a miracle. Lord, we need a miracle. Pastor, pray for us. We need a miracle. What do you need? Whatever he'll give me. That is not what we're talking about here. Hear me. That's not what we're talking about here. You want to get specific in your prayers. Lord, we need a miracle in our finances in this church. We need a breakthrough of a million dollars so that we can have a permanent home. And I don't care if we buy it or rent it, but we need enough money to build out a place so we don't have to load in and load out. And preferably, I'd like it on Colfax because I love doing ministry on this street. And I want to do it in a place where we can grow when people see it. Lord, we need a miracle. That's how you pray. This is exactly what I need, Jesus. And so he tells the men, count the people. Tell me exactly how many there are. 
And he says, now give me what you have. There's five steps in this recipe. Ready? You really need Jesus to make a way to provide for you. The first thing you must do is be willing to give what you have to him. You hate that one, huh? <laughs> nope. I want him to add. Oh, he can add, but he's better at multiplying. And so if you would give him your little, he will make much out of it. He says, give me what you have. Now, I can imagine in this moment, these 12 disciples, full of faith, but also rational. They've seen Jesus do some things, but they're like, this is, this is a ton of people, Jesus. This is a ton. He's like, give me your food. And they're like, seriously, it's not much. Here it is. He said, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it here. And if I can imagine, 12 of them are like, <laughs> this is going to be nuts. <laughs> you, think, you think he can do it? Right? Peter's like, I know he can do it. John, whom Jesus loved, he was like, of course he'll do it. He's the best. <laughs> Thomas, way down on the end, right? He's like, Frig, I don't think he can do it, but he seems to do it every single time. What's the over-under on the, on the loaves and fishes? <laughs> it's a real church, amen. He says, give me what you have. Before, before you ask me to do more, give me little. And we give so that he can bless what we have. The Bible says Jesus took their food and raised it to heaven. He does not thank God for what there is. Jesus doesn't say, Father, thank you for the little. He says, Father, I bless the little. This matters to you. Why? Because you don't want God to do more if all that you have is not yet blessed. I have met too many people who are rich and cursed in Jesus' name. I would rather have a little bit that's got the oil all over it than have a ton that's dry as a bone. Amen. He says, give it to me so I can bless it. And the picture there is that, that, that the Lord might put his presence, might put his anointing, might put himself into what you have. And the only way that he does that is if you're willing to let go of it. Notice the disciples don't go, you hold one end, I'll hold the other just in case. No, he says, give it all to me. And then he blesses it. And then this part's going to be really hard. And then right in front of them, he begins to break it. He, he doesn't grow it. He doesn't take their little and say, watch the bank account grow. He doesn't take their small and make it get big. He actually starts to tear it apart. I want to tell you today that for those of us who are asking God for a provisional miracle, the reason you haven't yet seen him do much is because you're so protective of your little. And if you would just be willing to say, not only will you, you can have it, you can bless it. Heck, if you never want to give it back, that's okay too. You want what God has for you not what you want for you. You want what he wants for you, amen? So he says, give it here. Let me bless it. 
Let me break it. And then he puts it into a basket. There's still no multiplication has happened yet. Right? They're like, for real. What was the over-under? Oh, I want in now. He says he puts that little amount, broken pieces, into the baskets. And he says, now, let's start serving. You want God to do a big thing in your life. Start doing a big thing in other people's lives. I'm telling you right now, you, you, you want God to pour it into you? Make sure he can pour it right through you. This is how it works. When we're a vessel, our conduit, oh, we're always full. And he says, now go serve. And I can imagine, they're like, serve what, bro? <laughs> Which one of them is going to walk to the far end of the camp, right? It's like, I got one fish. Bible says, oh, they just start serving. It's working. <laughs> Don't miss this, ready? Don't miss this. The miracle is not the snacks. The miracle is not the food. The people, oh, the people didn't even know this conversation happened. How many people were there in total? 20,000. You ever been to a sporting event where 20,000 people are there? You ever heard the conversation of six people way over in the far corner? Of course you haven't. This conversation happened way over here. And none of these people knew about the lack. All they did was sit down, sit down, okay. <laughs> We're gonna bring you dinner, sweet. And then in a little while, somebody brought them dinner. Hey, this is great, this is, we don't need all, we can have all this? Sweet, seconds, great. And they begin to eat. The miracle was not in the meal. It wasn't in the snacks. No, the miracle. Was in serving. Yeah, 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 yeah. The miracle was in the surrender. This miracle didn't happen for 20,000 people. It happened for 12 boys. 12 boys who saw need. Twelve boys who trusted the one who meets need. Let's go. That's right. It says they gave, <laughs> and he blessed, and then he broke, and then they served. And watch the end. It says, and then everyone ate, and then they were satisfied. Here's the miracle. Ready? The miracle is when you give. I need, I need, give, okay. I need, I need, I need, let me bless it, okay. I need, I need, let me break it. Ooh, gosh. I need, go give it away. I need, I promise you'll be satisfied. No matter what you have, 
or what you need. What you need most is Jesus. 20,000 people's natural need was met and 12 boys' faith exploded in such a fashion that they were like, we are never making dinner again. <laughs> so I'm gonna leave you with this. We're gonna worship. We got baptism in about five minutes. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet? Our team's gonna come up. We're gonna worship maybe just one song. Okay. You're here, just one. If you're here today, and part of your conversation has been, Jesus, I need. Jesus, I need a better job. Jesus, I need more money. We need to make the ends meet. Jesus, we need a better relationship. Jesus, I need healing. Jesus, I need. Jesus, I need. Jesus, I need. I want to challenge you today to consider that you can change this conversation to end the sentence. Not Jesus, I need and fill in the blank, but Jesus, I need you. I want to shift your focus in this season of your life and your prayer life altogether that you don't seek the one who provides, you seek the one who provides simply for himself. So would you do me a favor, every head bowed, all over the room, let's pray. If you're getting baptized today, you can slip right out of your seat and meet me right out front. Heavenly Father, today we love you, we thank you. We thank you for this word and this miracle. Jesus, thank you for modeling for us what it means to trust you. Today, we lay our need down at your feet. We don't just want you to feed us, we don't want you to care for us. We don't just want you to put a roof over our head. God, we know that you can do all of those things, but more than anything, we want more of you. More of you in the midnight hour, more of you when we're worried, more of you when we're fearful. Jesus, make your presence known in our life. You provide a way. You take off the burden. And Father, today we surrender and we receive this miracle, which is more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go! Thank you.